A young man came to W.E. Gladstone when he was Prime Minister of England, and he said, Mr. Gladstone, I would appreciate your giving me a few minutes in which I may lay before you my plans for the future. I would like to study law. Yes, said the great statesman, and, what, and then what? Then, sir, I would like to gain entrance to the Bar of England. Yes, young man, and what then? Then, sir, I hope to have a place in Parliament in the House of Lords. Yes, young man, what then? Pressed Gladstone. Then I hope to do great things for Britain. Yes, young man, and what then? Then, sir, I hope to retire and take life easy. Yes, young man, and what then? He tenaciously asked. Well, then, Mr. Gladstone, I, I suppose I will die. Yes, young man, and what then? The young man hesitated and then said, I never thought any further than that, sir. And looking at the young man sternly and steadily, Gladstone said, Young man, you are a fool. Go home and think life through. We are busy people. It seems like we're always trying to beat the clock. It seems like time is faster than ever before. It seems like my clothes don't wear out because time is going faster than my clothes can wear out sometimes. But being patient is something that seems to be at a, store, at a shortage and more and more these days. Just look at the streets and the freeways and the way people drive. And in the midst of all the busyness of life, as believers, do we keep in mind that the coming of the Lord could happen any day? The end of the year is a good time to think life through, as Mr. Gladstone said. Here we are on the threshold of another year. This is the last Thursday, the last Thursday meeting for 2017. It seems like January was just the other day. I'm at the point where I may not even take the Christmas decorations down from the bookstore anymore because as soon as I put them down, it's time to put them back up again, it seems like. So time goes really fast. It's so much is happening and so much has gone on in the church, in our individual lives, and in our nation. And I want to share a message with you from James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. If you don't mind turning there, James 5. Verses 7 and 8, I titled this message, The Hope That Makes Us Strong. James 5, 7 and 8. James 5, 7 and 8 says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. James, in this wonderful practical passage, addresses the brethren, brothers and sisters, fellow believers, 
The theme of these two verses is on the importance of being patient in the midst of trials, in the midst of the difficult circumstances that go on in life and temptations, and to remind the brethren, the brethren that our Lord is coming soon. James wrote this letter around 30 years after the crucifixion of Jesus. In Acts chapter 1, when, uh, when Jesus commanded the disciples to depart from Jerusalem, not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, they asked him back then, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? In other words, is this when you're going to set up the kingdom? And they were hoping that Jesus would set up his kingdom in, in, in just a few days. Now, it was around 30 years later and Jesus had not returned. And James is writing to scattered Jewish Christians who are under pressure. And what he says to them here in verses 7 and 8 was intended to bring them into having the right perspective. So tonight, we're going to look at the attitude of spirit the Christian is to have. Therefore, be patient, brethren. First part of verse 7. The perspective that will give the Christian this attitude until the coming of the Lord. Second part of verse 7. And three, we're going to look at the exhortation to strengthen the Christian's heart and hope. Verse 8. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The attitude of spirit the Christian is to have. Notice James begins verse 7 by saying, Therefore, be patient, brethren. When he says this, it's given in the form of a command. He's not giving a suggestion. He's giving a command here. And as James said this, he's not coming across as being insensitive or indifferent. That was not his heart. He knew it was not easy to be patient in the midst of all the trials that go on in life. But when James commands this, notice he even addresses them as brethren. Therefore, be patient brethren. That says a lot. He's addressing believers, those who have given their lives to Christ. And as a result, those who have the capacity to be patient through the power of the Lord in their lives. And when James says to them, be patient, he's not using the, the usual Greek word for patience that we usually uh, hear of. And we hear a lot of hupomone, which means to abide under. But here in verse 7, he's using a different word. It's the Greek word macro, makrothomeo, which has the meaning of being long in spirit, long-tempered, to not lose heart. It speaks of a long holding out of the mind before it gives room to action or passion. It indicates an attitude of self-restraint in dealing with the offenses from others. The verb here means being a patient waiting, an ability to take and absorb difficult and irritating situations or people. This word is used as a characteristic of God and how he deals with sinful humanity. In 2 Peter 3.9 it says, The Lord is not slack 
concerning his promise, as some uh, count slackness, and then it says, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Aren't you thankful that God is patient with us? He's long-tempered. If God were short-tempered with us, where do you think we'd all be? We'd all be in hell. But God is patient. He, his love is so great. He gives us opportunity to give our lives to him. And the brethren that James addressed were facing trials and persecution and risk losing patience with their circumstances and with other people and probably even with God himself. And James saw this danger, so he exhorted them to be patient. Don't lose heart. Hang in there. The Lord is coming soon. And being patient is something that the word of God exhorts all of us to grow in. Psalm 37, 13 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Psalm 130, verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word do I hope. And Lamentations 3, 25 and 26 says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And there were many of the brethren who, who they were aching for the coming of the Lord. And because of difficult people and difficult circumstances that they were experiencing, they, were, they had a hard desire, Lord, Please come soon. And James is exhorting them to hang on. Don't lose heart. It's going to happen. And the question I want to ask is, what is your attitude about the Lord's coming? It's a good question to ask ourselves tonight. It's a good question to ask ourselves as we end the year. Do you long for the coming of the Lord? Or have you settled in? On this earth. Are things important. Or are things too important down here. That we've lost sight of the Lord's coming. I used to hear. I mean back in the early days of the church. I mean and here in our history. There was a. used to hear more about the coming of the Lord. You know. And I don't hear that as much as we used to hear it anymore. And it makes me wonder that. I have to check my heart. My longing for the coming of the Lord. I remember when my son Jonathan was a little boy. I talked to him about the coming of the Lord. And he expressed to me how he wanted to get his driver's license first. (laughs) And experience driving before the Lord comes. And I tried to get the point across that those types of things, son, are not going to matter. They're not going to compare with what being with the Lord for eternity is going to be like. I try to explain to him how things are going to be much better when we are with the Lord. And now that he's a full-grown adult, I'm sure his perspective has changed. Now that you have to pay for gas and maintenance on your cars and all the stuff that goes on with that, I'm sure his perspective has changed. And James exhorts the brethren to be patient. 
And for us, we don't need to be reminded that we all have trials. All of us who live on this planet, we experience trials in one way or another. And we have everything from a flat tire on the freeway to the loss of a loved one and everything in between. All these things that affect our lives. It's all part of the fallen world that we live in. So we don't need to be reminded that we all have trials, but we do need need to be reminded from time to time for the need to be patient. Psalm 27, 13 and 14 says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Being patient is something that we don't possess naturally. Only God can give this to us as we yield to his spirit through his word. In the second part of verse 7, James gives the perspective that will give us this attitude of patience. Notice he says, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So the focus, the goal, the incentive for patience in the believer's life is the coming of the Lord. The word coming there is the Greek word parousia, which means to be present, to be nearby, to have come. The word expresses both an arrival and a resulting presence with the Lord. And as believers, we are always to be ready for the coming of the Lord for his church in in the rapture. And then that one day in the second coming of Jesus, when we will be be with him, the church will be with him to fight the armies of the world at Armageddon to set up the kingdom. This is to be our great hope. The arrival of Jesus in our ultimate presence with him. This sure hope, this great truth should motivate us. It should renew our minds. And strengthen us to seek, to order our lives in light of that truth. As the church, as believers, we are always to be watchful for the coming of the Lord. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Peter exhorts us to be sober-minded and watchful and prayerful. It must be the focus for the believer who is going through the things of life, the believer who is in distress, the believer who deals with suffering. And God uses trials. He'll use the trials for the purpose of us turning to him. But we are to look to the coming of the Lord. Romans 8, 18 to 21 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So whatever trials we may experience down here, it isn't worthy to be compared with what's ahead when the Lord takes us home, when the Lord comes. This is a wonderful and hopeful promise that we are to hang on to. In light of all that is going on around us and going on against us, we need to be constantly aware that the Lord is coming soon. 
This is the hope we are to live with. We are to say we are to live as it says in Hebrews 11:10, waiting for the city which has foundations, which builder and maker is God. This is the incentive for patience because the coming of the Lord, well, he's going to put an end to all wrong. He's going to judge sin. And the sufferings of this world will be done with. And when we do this, it'll help us to realize that all the issues of life, when we put our focus on that, they're not going to last forever. Patience is a product of the fruit of the Spirit for us here, down on this life on earth. We won't need it once we're with the Lord. Look at the illustration of patience James gives in the middle of verse 7. He says, See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. It's a great illustration. It's very basic. It's something that the people knew about, farming. And this illustration, it implies several things for us to consider. James gives an example of how necessary and how fruitful it is for a farmer to wait patiently for the harvest. A farmer does not, he doesn't sow his seed and go out a week later expecting to see a mature crop. He knows it takes time. I want my wife to buy the flowers that are already popping out. She's more patient. She goes, hold on, and then they come out later on. We need patience. And James uses this illustration to convey the idea of being patient, looking expectantly for something. The farmer looks for that crop to come in. And the farmer waits patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain, it says there. In the climate of those days, the early rains came in October, which prepared the soil for the seed. And the early rain helped the seed once it was planted so it would begin the process of germination. And the latter rains came in March, April, or, or May and would augment the seed and guarantee a good crop. So the farmer waited patiently through this whole process. And also the, flow, the, the farmer, he plowed the ground, he prepared it, he planted the seed. That took faith. He has to cast the seed into the ground where it dies and he has to wait and hope and pray for it to sprout and produce a new crop in the following year. And while he's waiting on that crop, the farmer, he doesn't just sit around doing nothing. He's fertilizing it. He's irrigating it. He's preparing his barn for the harvest. And there's all kinds of other duties that he does. And if a farmer did not plow the seed and prepare, it would be crazy for him to anticipate a bountiful crop. He has to work looking hopefully for the harvest. And through all of this, the farmer has to depend on God's providence to send the proper rains at the proper time and the right amounts. Too much rain and it can flood the crop. Too little and it will affect it also. And if the farmer threw a fit because the crop wasn't ready soon, as soon as he wanted it, or if he grew discouraged and said, I'm giving up farming because it takes too long, he would be an unwise farmer. 
Farming is a slow process. It takes patience. So if you don't have patience, don't be a farmer. But if the farmer works at it and if God sends the proper rain, ultimately it will yield a harvest. And why did the farmer wait patiently? Why did he wait so long? Because the fruit that was produced, notice what it says here in verse 7, the fruit that was produced is the precious fruit of the earth. The harvest is worth waiting for. It's a precious reward. The brethren that James was writing to, they wanted to grow in their understanding of the things of God. They wanted to be obedient. But they saw the ungodly that were prospering. And these prosperous evil people were taking advantage of the poor Christians. You see that in the first verses of of chapter 5 here uh, of James. So many of them were losing sight of the harvest at the end of the age. And James is saying, yes, it's definitely worth it because the return of Jesus Christ will reward you and he will deal with the wicked. He will take all the situations in life that we go through and he will make them right. And James truly desires that we see the same mighty hand of God in work in our lives that the farmer sees as he waits patiently. He desires that we be ready so that nothing will spoil the great day of the coming of our Lord in glory to rapture his church. James is exhorting us and he's exhort- he was exhorting them and us for- to wait for the harvest. In verse 8, James gives the brethren an exhortation to strengthen their hearts in hope. Look at verse 8. He says, you also be patient like the farmer. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. James enforces the call to be patient by repeating it again. You also be patient. But here in verse 8, now he focuses on a vital need, a vital importance here. Notice he says, uh, it's to establish our hearts. He says, uh, establish, you also be patient, establish your hearts. The word establish here, it means to have a stable heart, to strengthen your heart. To make firm, to fix your heart. To turn resolutely in a certain direction, steadfastly set your heart, expecting the return of Jesus. It is the ability to stay on in the same place, not giving up, uh, but remaining steady under trial. It speaks of having an active endurance in the midst of difficult circumstances. The root word here for uh, establish, it means to prop up, to prop up your heart. To establish our hearts, to prop up uh, ourselves, knowing that the coming of the Lord is near and we only have to deal with the circumstances for a little while. The word is used in Paul's prayer in 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 and 13. And may the Lord make you to increase and abound in love to one another and to all just as you do, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with his saints. Paul also used the word in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where it says, Now may, the, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts, and establish you in every good work. 
And Peter used the word in 1 Peter 5.10, May the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, and strengthen and settle you. So James is exhorting the church to have hearts that were rooted in the Lord's eternal resolution of all things. And James' point is not the length of time for waiting for the coming of the Lord, but the need to remain steady during that time. James is warning the church also of of inconsistency, like he did in chapter 1 about being double-minded. He's calling on the church to have a heart fixed on the harvest, fixed on the coming of the Lord. One commentator put it this way, he said, what, what is commanded then is firm adherence to the faith in the midst of temptations and trials. As they wait patiently for their Lord to return, believers need to fortify themselves for the struggle against sin and with difficult circumstances. And Galatians 6, 9 also expresses the same idea about being patient and establishing our hearts. Uh, and when the season for the harvest comes, how we'll enjoy the harvest. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Notice what James says at the end of verse 8. He says, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. In other words, the coming of the Lord draws near. It's right at the edge. It's just about to happen. It's just around the corner. And we are not only to believe this, but we are to embrace this. Because if we don't, there's that potential to weaken our souls. And there's that potential for discouragement and sinful living to have a potential. We don't want to be like the evil servant who, in Matthew 24 who said in his heart, My master delays his coming. But when we live our lives truly realizing that the Lord's coming could happen any day, then it's a healthier way of living spiritually. It purifies. When we live with this in our hearts that Jesus could come back at any moment, we, it'll give us the potential to live a lot cleaner. And we can live as John, 1 John 3, 3 tells us, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And we will be living, we will live being mindful that the Lord would come back and what will, what will we be doing? If we have that, that, we have that in our minds, if we're living knowing that it, could, it is at hand, it's going to help us to be careful and to realize that what would I be doing if the Lord comes back? Would I be doing something that I would be ashamed of? So we need to have the perspective as Christians that the Lord could come back at any time, any moment. We need to be ready for him. We also need to be occupying till the Lord comes, doing his work. Jesus said, blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Paul said, if Jesus isn't coming back to judge the dead and the living, Paul said, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But if the righteous, but the coming, if he is coming as a righteous judge, which 
he is, then we are to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that our toil is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15.58 Jesus commanded us to live with a focused expectation in regard to his coming. In Mark 13, uh, he said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his uh, his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest, coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. And Hebrews 10.25, it, it also speaks of that expectancy. It says, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Do you see the day approaching? Do you see the times that we are living in? And, 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 and realize this, if, if James was saying the coming of the Lord is at hand back at the time of the early church. How much more closer must we be? How much more intimate in the salvation timetable must the coming of the Lord be? So we should have, so we should live every day with that realization. Trusting in the Lord's promises, the promise of his coming. It's going to give us patience to endure the issues of life. And it gives us hope. And hope comes from having the right perspective. In other words, we are to look to Jesus Christ and to see all things we go through in life as finding the ultimate resolution or the ultimate resolve in his return. So God, through his servant James, teaches us that the strength to be patient when we go through the things of life throws at, that life throws at us comes from fixing our hope on the return of the Lord. So here we are about to enter 2018. Are we living with heaven in view? Are we prepared for a future spiritual harvest? Something to consider as we come to the close of 2017. I'm so glad the Lord didn't come in 1982. You know why? Because I would have missed the kingdom of God. I got saved in 1982. How many of you were not saved 20 years ago? How many of you were not saved 10 years ago? Wow. You too would have missed the kingdom of God. We need to be very happy that he did not return. And like I said earlier, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And now you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have not given your life to the Lord? Good thing God brought you here tonight. God has you listening over the airwaves because he's not willing that any should perish, but all that would come to repentance. I want to share what Oswald Chambers says about the end of the year in his devotional, my utmost for his highest, uh, December 31st entry. He says, at the end of the year, we turn with eagerness 
to all that God has for the future. And yet anxiety is apt to arise when we remember our yesterdays. Our present enjoyment of God's grace tends to be lessened by the memory of yesterday's sins and blunders. But God is the God of our yesterdays, and he allows the memory of them to turn the past into a ministry of spiritual growth for our future. God reminds us of the past to protect us from a very shallow security in the present. As we go forth into the coming year, let it not be in the haste of impetuous, forgetful delight, nor with the quickness of impulsive thoughtlessness, but let us go out with the patient power of knowing that the God of Israel will go before us. Our yesterdays hold broken and irreversible things for us. It is true that we have lost opportunities that will never return, but God can transform this destructive anxiety into a constructive thoughtfulness for the future. Let the past rest, but let it rest in the sweet embrace of Christ. I like reading that every year, the end of the year. Titus two eleven to 13 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are to be ready for the coming of the Lord, the rapture of his church. Jesus, Jesus promised that he would come back for us. And receive us to himself. In John 14 he said. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you. I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am. There you may be also. So we're not going to be here forever folks. Praise God. And may we consider our lives in light of the coming of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this reminder, Lord. Thank you for this hope. Father, I lift the church, Lord. I lift everyone here. Father, and just all the different things that we, we go through in our hearts, in our minds, Lord. Lord, they're, they're part of our humanness, but yet we can give them to you, Lord. And we can cast them back to you, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would use this, Lord, to help us to stay focused and have the right perspective as we await your soon return, Lord. Thank you. Maranatha. And Father, I pray for those that uh, maybe have not given their life to you or maybe have walked away from you. That they would realize, Lord, that they don't want to be caught and and, and gamble with their eternity, with their eternal uh, state, Father, that tonight would be the night of salvation, Lord. So if there's anyone listening to these words and you want to give your life to the Lord or you want to rededicate your life to the Lord, you've walked away from him. Repeat this prayer. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse my heart. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I will walk with you and give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.